Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, a look at the fake alternative universe presented by so many in the media and how the big changes coming to Twitter might resolve some of that. Also, how Hispanic voters in America stand to change so much. Well, I am on a road trip, so please forgive any extra noise. But I thought it would be interesting to talk about appearance versus reality. And if you've read some of my books, you know that I've written a lot about efforts to manipulate the information landscape to try to give people the impression that things are a certain way when they're not, or maybe that your viewpoint is a minority viewpoint, even though it could be a majority viewpoint, or these information manipulators and propagandists work to make you believe that you're fringe when in fact they are fringe, the views that they're putting out, but they're putting them out in such a way on social media and the news that it appears as though they're the majority and it's designed to make you keep your mouth shut, not question certain things because you're supposed to think you're an outlier. You're supposed to be embarrassed or shamed because of the way you think about something or because you question something or you believe a scientific study that they would like to discredit. Or that maybe you're asking questions about why public health information during COVID so often seemed wildly wrong and in fact proved wildly wrong. If you question these things, you're supposed to think that you're in a fringe minority when in fact you're probably not. None of this is to say that just because you may not be in part of the fringe minority, that you should be or we should be intolerant of other viewpoints, or just because you may hold a majority opinion or an opinion held by a lot of other people that that necessarily makes it the only right opinion. That's not the case. I think we all know that. The point here is that there is what I call now the tyranny by a minority. There are a relative few people controlling the information landscape with narratives that are fringe, that are held really only by a relative few, and yet they seek to impose their will and their demands and their dictates on everybody else, in part with an effort to try to make people think that that's the only way you should feel and that almost everybody feels that way except you. So I thought we would talk a little bit about two big examples of this. Number one, the midterm elections. It is said to be razor close in many areas with Republicans perhaps threatening to take over some Democrat-held seats. Republicans, of course, are hoping to get the majority, regain control of the House, and maybe even get the majority, regain control of the Senate. Why is this so important? Well, the party that controls these congressional bodies They dictate pretty much everything about the agenda, which bills can go forward, which can come to a vote, which cannot, what hearings get called, and even what federal agencies may cooperate with investigations. We're in a really weird time where the federal agencies simply thumb their nose, not only at freedom of information requests from the press, like me, they violate the law daily, almost without fail, in my experience, when it comes to trying to get public information we own. And by the way, a great example of this is, to deviate for a moment, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, John Sopko. He's been on the case for more than 20 years, 
appointed by President Obama as the Inspector General to oversee the billions upon billions of U.S. tax dollars that we spend in Afghanistan. And he's able to do his job and unearth billions in waste, fraud, and abuse only pretty much because he can get the data from the federal agencies that are spending our money. Well, all of a sudden, this week, he's reporting to Congress that for the first time in his office's creation, he's unable to do his job of tracking the spending of all of our tax money in Afghanistan. Yes, we're still spending a lot there. And he says that's due to the failure to cooperate by the federal agencies. They will not tell, according to him, the inspector general how they're spending these monies, how the contracts are turning out. They're not providing the data and the information he needs. They've stopped cooperating. He specifically named the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, which is a big one in terms of the money they get, our money, to spend. And he mentioned the Treasury Department not cooperating with him. Think about this. The federal agencies won't cooperate with the federal inspector general so that he can do his job on our behalf. And then he went on further to say to Congress in a report this week that the State Department is giving only selective information. In other words, they're not giving him what he needs to do his job. Therefore, John Sopko is telling Congress that even though the U.S. remains the largest single donor to Afghanistan after a botched and failed withdrawal a year ago, a little more than a year ago, we've given $1.1 billion of our U.S. tax dollars to help the Afghan people since we abandoned them and the Islamic extremist Taliban took back over. But he can't document how any of that money was spent with any confidence because the federal agencies won't tell him. So that's one example of the federal agencies won't cooperate depending on who's in charge and who's asking the questions, whether it's an inspector general or members of Congress trying to do oversight. Again, one reason why it's so important who controls Congress. And I might say, Whoever does control Congress, even when Republicans are in charge, they have not been great historically at getting answers to outstanding questions on investigations for a lot of different reasons. But back to the larger point, if you simply watched what people, I guess, used to think and maybe some still think of as mainstream news, like my alma mater, CNN, or even where I used to work at CBS, you might come away with the impression that the Democrat viewpoint on many important political and social issues is the dominant viewpoint by far. And you'd think the same thing if you tooled around on popular social media like Twitter and Facebook. In other words, if these were your sole sources of information, you would probably come to the conclusion that anybody who didn't think the way you predominantly see on the news and social media about cultural issues, whether it's transgender controversies or critical race theory in schools or abortion positions, you would think that there's pretty much one dominant view and only a few fringe people are on the other side. But that's simply not the case. And I think that's one of the big stories that's being missed as we cover the buildup to the midterm elections. If, for example, the Senate stays with razor-thin Democrat control, or whether it slightly goes, or even by a couple of votes, to the Republicans, it still indicates that all the propaganda and the narratives that we've seen on the news for the past two years, the idea promoted that everybody thinks a certain way except the few crazies, 
That's clearly not true, and the midterm elections will be once again proof of that. It reminds me of when I was working for CBS News, and I happened to be overseas in the United Kingdom when the second President Bush was running for re-election. And while I was there, he won. And I remember the reaction of some of the Brits that I was interacting with, and they couldn't believe it. When they would find out I was an American, they said, how could Bush have won again? He's so unpopular in America. And I said, well, he's unpopular with the American media. He's popular with more than half of America. And that was sort of a realization for me, a pretty big moment to understand that the portrayal given in the media, particularly by our press overseas, is one that is then widely held by people who have no idea that the real picture is quite different. Thus, the shock and awe when President Trump was elected, because building up to his election in 2016, if you looked at the press and social media, you'd have to have concluded, if that was your only guide, that he was wildly unpopular, that only a couple of crazies would vote for Trump. So imagine the surprise of people that had been relying on the news and social media for their information when Trump actually turned out to be quite popular and win the presidential election. The second big point that I wanted to make that is kind of related has to do with the takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk. If he survives the assault, the political and corporate assaults on him doing this job because they absolutely are out of their minds at the notion they can't control the narratives the same way they could. If he survives all of this, how might Twitter change? What will we see that's different than what we've seen in the past five or actually 10 years. I think one of the biggest things is if Twitter is allowed to operate in a more fair and open way, it will reflect more of what's really happening in culture and society. Instead of the over-amplified attention given to what are actually controversial and fringe viewpoints, instead of the normalization of those, we will see Twitter reflect more of what people really think and feel in America, culturally, socially, and politically. That's been manipulated on Twitter for so long now that maybe we've forgotten what the true picture of America looks like, except when you go out and interact with your neighbors or when I travel around the country, it's sort of a reality check, so different than what you see on the media and on Twitter and other social media. That could be a huge difference. And again, I'm not saying that just because other views will be more proportionately represented, more accurately represented in terms of what you see on social media. It's not to say that I'm advocating for any sort of intolerance to other opposing viewpoints or to even fringe and controversial views. And the beauty of Twitter and social media, they always came with tools for you to control your experience. We never needed these third parties who can be co-opted by special interests and propagandists. We never needed them to insert themselves between us and our information because if there are things you don't want to see, it's easy not to see them or to set up your account where you don't encounter these things. The whole idea that Twitter or any other third party or fact checkers needed to come in and control your information experience for you, that was generated by propagandists who wanted to control your information because without them, they were afraid you would form the wrong conclusions, the ones they don't want you to form, that you would read the studies they'd rather you not read, that you would hear and see opinions they'd rather you not hear and see. 
This whole notion of controlling our information was brought up, as I've written about, largely in the 2015 time period by propagandists so that they could control the election, the entrance of Donald Trump onto the political landscape prompted a lot of this, and it was funded and generated by prominent Democrats and Democrat donors and Democrat interests. Prior to this time period, there wasn't anybody clamoring for third parties to come in and control our information and tell us what we should think and tell us what's true and what's not. But I think if you think that's a great idea, if you like what's happened, you should be able to opt into that service with a fact checker or the trusted media outlet of your choice. In other words, if you want to be on Twitter and you don't want to control your own experience and you're afraid that your eyes will be cast upon something that you don't want to see or that you're not sure is true and you can't make this decision yourself, then you should be able to opt into a service that they'll control your experience, they'll control your information, they will fact check for you. And you can pick who that would be. But that should be, in my view, an opt-in, not an automatic, where somebody chooses for you who is going to cull through your information. And, of course, the biggest examples of why it's not a good idea to have these conflicted third parties insert themselves, well, one example is the Donald Trump example, all the information about him being a Russian spy, years of investigations, fake information, false information, false accusations. We now know so much of that was generated by political opposition, fed to the FBI, who improperly investigated and got wiretaps, for example. And yet that stuff was fact-checked as true, or at least not stopped, while the truth was fact-checked as false. And then you fast forward a little bit to COVID. I don't think I have to go over all the government misinformation and big tech misinformation that was promulgated that turned out not to be true versus the stuff that they censored, which was true. So we need look at only those two major examples to understand what a bad idea it is for these conflicted third parties to appoint themselves. They become propagandists. They're controlled by special interests to appoint themselves to decide what we can and should see and believe. Won't it be a great thing, really, that if at least on Twitter, if not many other places, we get more of a true reflection of what's going on in society, where the information is less manipulated, less curated? Well, no one knows how all of this is really going to turn out, but I can give you a trivial example that gives me some reason for hope. When I first joined Twitter around the 2010 time period, I didn't notice what I would call manipulation of my account, Uh, built followers rather quickly. But after maybe a couple of years, people started telling me and reporting back to me that they had automatically been unfollowed from my account. And back then, I guess Twitter was still small enough that somebody from CBS was able to reach someone who was helping, I guess, with CBS accounts. And Twitter answered that, yes, they saw the problem on my account. It was just a glitch in some software and they would be fixing it. Well, it was never fixed. I continue up until really in the last few weeks having people regularly report to me that they're automatically unfollowed from my account. Again, a trivial example, but the manipulation seemed to accelerate, I would say, around the 2012 time period 
where I had more people saying that they were not able to see the things that I posted, even though they followed me, more people talking about being unfollowed. And I noticed there was sort of a ceiling on the number of followers. No matter how many would come in on a given day or month, an almost equal number was taken away throughout the month, often in bulk, sometimes 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 30,000 in one fell swoop. It's not credible that 30,000 people at the same time all decided to unfollow my account. And this has been the case for many years, and I don't doubt that whatever software or algorithms or controls that's being put on my account is also being put on many other accounts. But it meant that I could get hundreds of new followers in a given day, but the total following month to month would just creep up, you know, a couple little followers at a time. Again, seems like there was sort of a ceiling placed on how many followers I was going to be allowed to have. Well, just since Elon Musk took over Twitter, I don't know if they lifted some of the controls in order to hide them. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, I'm gaining the normal number of followers, maybe a thousand or so a day, but they're not being subtracted, at least so far. This may be the longest stretch I've had where a giant group of followers hasn't been subtracted. Again, a trivial note, but one that I can actually grab onto. We will see if that holds. Could be reason for hope, because I think we all ultimately benefit when our information is not manipulated by these third parties trying to control what we think and we say and we do. More after a short break. All year round, there are challenges to keeping your skin healthy. Salt, sun, chlorine, cold, and wind. That's why I designed Siren A Cosmetics, a line of skin-loving, handmade products that will keep your skin glowing year-round. I'm Star, owner of Lemonade Mermaid at store.lemonademermaid.life. I worked hard to formulate fresh, vegan body butters, lotions, scrubs, lip glosses, and more with ingredients that are good for your skin year-round. But don't take my word for it. Check out our reviews. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off my Mermaid Moon Gloss to Balm lip gloss by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life. Now we hear from Ivan Garcia Hidalgo, who founded what he calls the first American media group of its kind, Conservative Spanish Language News and Information. He's speaking with me about the power of the conservative Hispanic vote in the upcoming midterms. What made you decide to found Americano Media? Yeah, it was really the 2016 election. Um, before that, before that, uh, you know, I'd been involved in, in many elections as a surrogate as well for campaigns. But what I realized was that this was a real opportunity to really change the game, really make an, make an impact. In the past, Republicans and Spanish-speaking media, they would show up, apologize for being Republican, bow their head, and get beat up for an entire hour or however long the, the hit was. Uh, my style wasn't like that. I went after really aggressively, and, and the entire surrogate team for for trump for the campaign went out there and we were real aggressive we got our message across and we were able to improve on you know mitt romney's dismal 27 percent with hispanics and what made you start the media company 
that I said we have to do this. We cannot continue to let the Hispanic vote go to Democrats because Hispanics are not liberal. They're not socialists. We're not Marxists. Hispanics are conservatives. Like Reagan said, they just don't know it. And it's true because there is no way to really speak to them because Univision, Telemundo, CNN Espanol, you know, are left wing organizations and they push an agenda. When did you start the company and what was the goal? How do you broadcast or how do you get messages across? So we founded Americano Media last year, but the project really started in January of 2017. Started putting together a team, started putting together how do we get this done. I launched a show on a channel, <clears throat> 24-7, 365 News, kind of like CNN. It's called NTN 24. Um, we launched it on Sundays. After four weeks, it was the number one show on Sundays. After seven weeks, it was the number one show on the network. So it proved that Hispanics wanted to listen to a conservative voice. So from there, we really started going after it. Launched last year, uh, the actual company corporately, and we put our signal on the air this March on Sirius XM. We've built our digital platform. Uh, we've done some syndications, deals with Odyssey, so now we're on terrestrial radio. Uh, we're on every single over-the-top application, so on Roku, Apple TV, Google TV, Fire. Uh, we're going to be on some of the other major ones as well and uh, expanding our syndication on radio. And we're also looking at television over the air at a national, you know, national presence. What role do you think Hispanic voters may play in the midterms? I think Hispanic voters are going to decide elections. In what respect? I think they're going to decide elections starting, you know, this midterm that just happened to every single election moving forward. Hispanic, the Hispanic population continues to grow. It's the largest minority in the country and eventually it's going to be a majority. So when you look at that, they're always going to be a key player. And if you just give up that, you give up that demographic, you're giving up your country, right? So that's why it's important. Hispanics really should vote and be Republican because that's a regular home. We just haven't been able to address them and talk to them, you know? Can you give any specific examples of races whereby there's plenty of non-Hispanic voters who are maybe almost evenly split and how it would come down to the Hispanic vote making a difference, particularly if you're wanting the Republican candidate to win, but most of them are still going to vote Democrat? Of course, because if you shift, if you're shifting 71 percent or 65 percent, right, and all of a sudden it goes down to 50 percent or 49 percent, that, that's a big shift. That that that'll move three, four points in the general in you know, in a general race. So that's what's gonna happen. You look at races where you have high Hispanics. Nevada, that's gonna be decided by Hispanics. Arizona, that's gonna be decided. Georgia, you know, right there those are three Senate seats that are gonna be decided by Hispanics and the, the GOP is gonna win. You know, look at Pennsylvania, Oz. You know, he's right there. These are real numbers, these are real facts, and these are real results. Looking ahead of the 2024 election, what do you foresee in terms of Hispanic vote influence? I think it's going to be huge. I think um, Trump is definitely going to run. I think he's, without a doubt, he's telegraphed that so many times. Um, in our interview that we did with, with, with the president, uh, you know, he was asked, do you think Republicans are the correct people to, you know, to bring the country back? And he said, well, you know, uh, a certain type of Republican, right? The telegraphy. But, um, but he said he was going to make a decision really soon. And, uh, and, and obviously, you know, everybody's going to know about it. So I, I think Hispanics really understand the fear of Marxist leftist policies. And what's really playing, I'm, I'm, you know, 
I'm always going to be honest, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, is the situation in Latin America. Every country has collapsed, has fallen to the left. You know, uh, Brazil recently, Lula, a, a, a former convict, the most one of the corrupt people in the world, you know, got reelected again. So, you know, all these things are playing in our favor. All Hispanics that have left all of Latin America because of these policies, because they've destroyed them, their families, their businesses, their countries, come here and see the same rhetoric coming out of the Democratic Party. And they're going to say, no way, never again. We've lost our country. We're not going to lose this one. There is nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go. If the United States collapses, is destroyed by the left, where are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. So Hispanics are going to play a very, very important role in the future of the United States of America. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of cool products. A lot of them make great gifts that feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking, and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and now you can support independent journalism by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, Think for yourself.